First Peter chapter 2, verse 9. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, His own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light, who once were not a people but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy but now have obtained mercy. Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. Therefore, submit to yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme or to the governor as those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do good. 15. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men, as free, yet not using your liberty as a cloak for vice, but as bondservants of God. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. That's the word of the living God. You may be seated. Thank you for standing. When you look at verses 9, it's important that we don't just jump into a verse and jump into 12 and talk about submission. Excuse me, verse uh, um, 13. We don't want to just jump right there, but we need to go and look and see what precedes the verse when he calls for that kind of level of submission and surrender. And we go back to verse 9. We really need to go back to 1 Peter 1.1. But if we go back to verse 9, we used an outline that we've used the last couple of weeks and see if any of you remember it. The outline we used all starts with P's. And it outlines the verses that follow from 9 until verse 12. Do you remember what it is? Anybody? Position. Okay, our position is this. Here's your position. You're a chosen generation. You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation, the believer. You're God's own special people. That's our position. Wow! We're part of an eternal nation of priests who have access and standing with the God of glory through the substitutionary death, burial, and resurrected life of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. We're a holy nation. We're set apart. We're God's own special people, His own special treasure, purchased by the highest price that could be paid, none other than what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. We were paid for by the blood of Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. That's our position. The praise that flows from that is this. He left us here between now and our future glory that we'll share with Him because we're going to be like Him because we will see Him as He is, the Bible says. In the meantime, He left us here to do this. To proclaim the praises of Him, Him who called us out of darkness into His marvelous light, who once were not a people, but now are the people of God, who once had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Not that we're going to get mercy one day, but we've obtained it now. Romans 8.1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation. Not in the sweet by and by, but in the nasty now and now. You and I stand right with God because of Jesus. Amen? So, we proclaim His praises. So you've got position. We've got 
praise, and then does anybody know what the third one was? Posture. What is the posture? It's an S word. Submission, but yeah, and you could use that one. Which one do we use? That's good, Ryan, but you could, which one? Surrender. Surrender. The posture is that of surrender. But see, the surrender comes post-understanding position. See, if we're not careful, we call for surrender and the posture of surrender without taking and having given any little thought about the motivation for it. The proper motivation for it. And the motivation for it is gratitude. What Jesus has accomplished in our lives. What he's the, so the posture is surrender. And it starts in verse 11. And he starts out calling us beloved. Now think about this. You remember what we said about that word beloved? Every time that the word beloved is used in the Gospels, it's always in reference to God speaking about His Son. You're beloved. This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased at His baptism. On the Mount of Transfiguration, and Peter started uh, saying, Lord, let's build a tabernacle for you and Moses and Elijah because this is special that we're up on this place. And they walk into a cloud and God speaks and says, This is my beloved Son. Listen to Him. And then, when we get into the epistles, when that same word is used, it's used of the believer. In other words, the love relationship between the Father and the Son is the same love relationship between the Son and His purchased people. God loves you and I as much as He does His Son because we see He sees us in Him. Hallelujah! Beloved! Beloved! And there's the motivation. We talked about it before. The love of Christ compels us that one died for all and therefore all died and that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for the one who died for them and rose again. Not love for Christ. It's the love of Christ that compels us. The love of Christ. Beloved. Your beloved God has credited you and I everything He thinks about His Son. And we're called children of God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now, he says now, not to make that true, not so that that becomes a reality, but because that is a reality, I'm calling for a greater measure of surrender in your life. You see the difference? Not, not to surrender to make the preceding verses true, but to surrender because you've come to believe that the preceding verses are true. And then he says, I beg you, I urge you. It means I encourage. It's not a command. It's not saying if you don't do this, you're not saved. What it's saying is when you get a hold of and understand what Christ, what I've done for you in my Son when the moment and the season of surrender in a greater measure of your life comes, you will surrender for all the right reason. And the posture of surrender is this. Now, we're going through now, the rest of the book is the terms of surrender. For those of you who don't want to surrender, you don't need to read the rest of the book. If you don't, I mean, I'm serious. It won't do you any good because the rest of the terms of the surrender will be foreign to you and you'll try to make it happen through your flesh. Maybe you'll want to do it and you'll grit your teeth 
And you'll put up with things, but you'll only do it for so long. And then you'll give out a strength. And you'll go, hey, there wasn't anything to it in the first place because I wasn't able to pull it off. But if you surrender because of what Christ has done for you and because of your position and my position in Him and because of the praises that come forth from that, then the power is accompanied by the resurrected life of Jesus Christ. See, and listen, the glue that holds the rest of the book together, strangely enough, is about submission to authority. That's the rest of the book. Let's fly over like we did last week before we dive into submission to government and let's look at it. Get your book and Bible in tow if you will. It says in verse 13, now these are the terms of surrender. Here it is. He's calling for surrender that you'd abstain from earthly lusts so that when word gets out, that when the devil tries to demean you as a Christian and tries to falsely accuse you among others to discredit the faith that you have, other people are going to go, wait a minute, though. I know that Christian close enough to know this. That's not true about them. That's not true about them. So in the day of visitation, when God gives somebody the opportunity to make a decision regarding His Son, you will not be an impediment to that decision. You will not be a stumbling block to that decision. You will be an avenue through which they've seen Him. So He says, listen, in the day of visitation, turn away from fleshly lusts. Turn away from wanting to seize control for yourself. Turn away from resenting other people who persecute you. See them the way that I see them. Turn away from trying to take matters into your own hands. Turn away from lovelessness. Receive my love. Let it fill you to overflowing. And then it won't cost you anything to love somebody because you don't think you're losing your security. It will cost you, but it won't, you won't deem it to be a cost anymore. It's like loving your children. Do you believe, do you deem it to be a cost to love your children even though it does cost you? No, because it's just easier to love your children. Well, when the love of Christ begins to fill some, fill a Christian and they're loved and love's not returned, they're so secure in their relationship with Him it doesn't threaten them because they know who they are in Him. That's what it said of Jesus when He washed the disciples' feet. He knew who He was and where He was headed. And He made that act of humility because He knew who He was. It cost Him nothing. He's still King of kings and Lord of lords when He washed His nasty feet. As a matter of fact, the fact that He washed nasty feet was a reflection of who He was, not a detriment to it. So he says, when it's time to surrender. And listen, here's the glue that holds the rest of 1 Peter together. You watch it. Just watch it. Watch how it plays out. This is the framework. The framework of the rest of it. Terms of surrender, here they are. Number 1, verse 13. Therefore, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to a king as supreme or to the governor, or as those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do good. First one, submission to government authority. Number two, it's all about authority. Number two, look at it in verse 18. Servants, be submissive to your masters. Let's update that language. Employee, be submissive to your employer. With all fear, not only to the good and gentle, that's easy, who among you cannot submit to a good, kind, benevolent, and gentle employer? Is that hard? I can do that in my flesh. My flesh can handle that. Here's the piano part. But also to those who are harsh. That word means cruel. That word, you could say those who are cruel. 
You could easily translate that in English to be wicked. You could easily translate it in English to be manipulative, self-serving people who use people as their own means to their own end. That's what that means. Some of you are working for somebody like that right now. Some of you in your own business are serving customers and they're your boss and they act that way right now. Oh, dear one. Oh, dear one. It is a divine opportunity from a holy God for Him to show forth His Son through your submission to somebody who you find it difficult to submit to. It is. It makes the cross become reality rather than theory. Oh, maybe that happened. You hardly run across anybody that doesn't believe that Jesus came and died on the cross. But they believe in Jesus the same way they believe in George Washington or Napoleon or Abraham Lincoln. They're not trusting Him to do anything for them. That distant death means nothing to them. But it brought home in the life of a submissive believer. The more difficult it is in your circumstance, the more the favor of God is on you. To turn the other cheek. To not overcome evil with evil, but to come overcome evil with good. That's a term of surrender. This one. Look over at 1 Peter chapter 3. Every bit of this deals with authority. Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands. There again, submission to authority. Somebody's got the lead. In the home, it's the husband has been called to lead. Ordained by God. That's God's design. It's not to hurt those we lead. It's to be protector, benevolent, shepherd, and kind and loving and one of you will stand in the gap for his family in prayer and on his convictions. It's a grace. It doesn't demean womanhood. It celebrates and exalts it to a higher level than society could ever imagine doing it. It's precious in the sight of God. And it's God's will. You ever run across something in Scripture and you go, I don't know what God's will is for my life. You know a good place to start? Can I say this? Get your concordance out and find out everywhere it says God's clear will and obey that. How about that? This is God's will. There's some places that say that. We're supposed to be thankful in all things. Why? It's God's will. So start practicing what you know to be God's will. And then as you start to be obedient to what you know to be His will, He'll reveal to you what you yet don't know is His will. The Bible says a submissive wife is precious in the sight of God. Imagine that. That's high billing. That's high billing. I don't care how far you want to rise in society and all the people know you and look to you and become famous. To say from heaven, God says, you are precious because of the way you're acting to me. Wow. No wonder the devil tries to talk us out of that. And then, look at chapter 5, verse 5. Likewise, I'll let you get over there, I'm sorry. Go ahead and turn over if you will, please. It's great to hear these Bible pages turning. First Peter 5, 5. What does it say? Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. That's what it says. Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Did you know if you have an elder in the church, somebody who's older, senior person or maybe a pastor who's not acting right. You know the Bible says that you're, not, you're, not, you, you're supposed to deal with them with respect even when they're not acting right. The Bible says you're not supposed to even rebuke an older person. That's what it says. 
that you're supposed to treat them as a father, even when they're not acting right. We're not excusing away acting right. But here's what I'm saying. It is a detriment to the gospel message to not submit to and esteem and value gray hair. It is a manifestation in society of the levels to which we have stooped. Only recently, a woman was attacked uh, as a bus monitor and treated like a piece of meat by a bunch of children. And they, I'm telling you right now, here's the deal. Lost people act lost, but Christians should never act that way. Never. 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 We should esteem the gray head. We should thank God for it. And it is a, it is a litmus test in society. The way you treat people on the margins shows where you stand. In, in, in the United States, it's more dangerous to be in the womb than it is to be in Afghanistan. And on the other end of it, we ship off older people and put them to the side and push them off like they're a piece of property and no longer respect them anymore. And the judgment of God is upon this country because of those two things. So here's what it is. The framework that holds together the terms of surrender. You know what they are? Submission to government. Submission to employer. Our customer, if you're a business owner, you're self-employed, you still have employers. You know that. Wives submitting to husbands and younger people submitting to their elders. Now, how is that possible? The way that's possible is, are you with me? How is that possible? To meditate on the Word of God about my position in Christ. And to humble myself before those because I know who I am. Knowing who you are in Christ does not produce pride. It produces abject humility and unbelievable, unending gratitude. And it brings forth praises. And we go to praising Him. And then when the moment of surrender comes, we're ready for it. Lord, it's not in me. And the Lord speaks back from heaven and says, I know that. Not in you. I've never expected you to do it. But I'm in you. I'm in you. And look who the example is. The example is our Lord Himself. For look at verse, we go to get ahead of ourselves, but we got to draw upon this to go where we're going. For this is commendable in verse 18, 19. For this is commendable if because of conscience toward God one endures grief, suffering wrongly. For what credit is to you when you are beaten for your faults and you take it patiently? But when you do good and suffer and you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. For to this, um, for to to you to th thus you were called because Christ also suffered for us. Here we go, leaving us as an example that you should follow in His steps. Who committed no sin, nor there was no deceit found in His mouth. Who, when He was reviled, did not revile in return. When He suffered, He did not threaten, but He committed Himself to Him who judges righteously. And what the Lord was saying there is, Jesus said, you know what? The Father's going to take care of all this. I don't need to. I came to die. I came to die. He told Pilate, Pilate, don't you understand? I could call to my aid right now angels that would overwhelm you. I could bat my eye and turn you to a pillar of salt. I've done that before. But he elected not to because he was after something greater and that was the gospel. That's what an employer an employee who submits to a tyrant employer says, in essence, my rights are not as important as the gospel witness. You can assert them in some cases, but to not assert the right is where God displays His glory. 
to say, I could do this, but I choose not to. Why? And the people ask you, why? What's wrong with you? You lost your mind? No. Jesus Christ snatched me out of an eternity in hell and died on the cross to pay for my sins and caused me to submit to my authority as if submitting to Him because He put them there. And I'm going to do it because of love for Him. I'm going to do it for His sake. And were it me, I would do exactly what you're talking about, but I'm going to do it for His sake because of the gospel. Let's look at it from a government standpoint. <clears throat> Therefore, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king is supreme or to governors, and those who are sent by him for the punishment of evil doers and for the praise of those who do good. The Bible is not into anarchy. God has graciously set up government in order for us not to live in anarchy. And the Bible says, submit yourselves. It means to do it willingly. It's a military expression, which means to arrange in formation under the commander is what it means. Now, if you look at Romans 13, 1 through 4, many of you are probably thinking of these verses as we look through the ones we talk about in submission to authority. Look at it, Romans 13, if you will, 1 through 4. 13, 1 through 4. Romans 13, 1 through 4. Look what it says. Let every soul be subject to governing authorities for... Now listen to this. This is a hard pill to swallow for us sometimes as believers. But listen to this. For there is no authority except from God. History is littered with evil, wicked rulers. History is being recorded right now with evil, wicked rulers. But the Bible says the rulers of this world are coming to nothing. That's what it says. So they, 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 you know, God's going to take care of that. But it says that there is no authority except from God. And the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Mm. We as Christians kind of choke on that sometimes. But we've got, let's be honest with our Bibles, because here's the deal. We won't change for the sake of living better here. And God's moving through authority for the sake of the gospel for eternity. Perspective. Perspective. You're not going to be here long. Neither am I. 70 years? Whoop! If we make it there, vapor. It's eternity. He sets up and draws the map in order that people might seek His Son. He's somehow another, and His divine design is working redemptively through every national border and the leaders that secure those borders to give message to the gospel of His Son. To come against that means that we think we're smarter than God. I've got a better plan than God does. Looks like He would ask me every now and then what I think. They're appointed by God. Therefore, therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. We talked about it last week. If you are not submissive to God's delegated authority, it means you are not submissive to His inherent authority. Because His inherent authority and His delegated authority are one and the same. They're one and the same. We can disagree with the government. We have the right to do that. We can exercise those rights in this country. But we're not here to overthrow it. Let it not be said of Christians that we want to mount a coup 
Because we want to have a Christian nation. A Christian nation? You're already part of a Christian nation. There's only one Christian nation. You are part of a holy nation. God's own special people. You're already in. And it's going to be eternal. And it's going to outlast every last one of these. Hallelujah. There's no power but of God. You know what that means? From the original language? It means there's no power but of God. That's what it means. You look at a, parallel, a couple of parallel passages there. We looked at these before. Daniel 4.17 Daniel 4.17. That's on page 1,233 in my Bible. <laughs> that was a joke. I'm You know what? We better be grateful for this verse. We better be grateful for this verse because it offers me so much comfort, especially when I got young children and may never live to see my grandchildren because I'm old as Abraham. But I got young children and I'm so grateful this is true because God's sovereign. But look at what it says. You there? Daniel 4.17. This decision, did I not say it right or something? I'm sorry because I'm prone to do that. I know that. I'll call. I'll say, turn to Zachary. Daniel 4.17. This decision is by the decree of the watchers and is sentenced by the word of the holy ones in order that the living may know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men. He gives it to whomever He will and sets over it the lowest of men. Wow. Pretty clear, isn't it? Now, you want to look at another one? And we talked about this one before, but let's look at it. You can mark it out. Proverbs 21.1. Proverbs 21.1, an amazing verse. The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. And like the rivers of water, he turns it wherever he wishes. The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. And like the rivers of water, he turns it wherever he wishes. Reminds me of Psalm 37. Don't fret. Don't fret when the wicked bring wicked schemes to pass. Don't fret. It only causes harm. You know what the harm is? The temptation to be insubordinate. Not just an action. It doesn't mean you're taking up arms against the government. It could mean with our mouths. God's delegated authority is inherent authority or one and the same. To be unsubmissive to delegated authority is to be in rebellion to his inherent authority. The Bible's clear about that. Our Lord's our example. He denounced the sin of the Jewish leaders, but he never sought to overthrow their authority. Did he have the power to do it? Yeah. <laughs> Could he have overthrown their authority? Yeah. yeah. You part of the Red Sea. You, know, you made us. Uh, yeah. I think you could take care of that. I don't think the Romans posed a challenge for the Lord. 
but he had to be a beeline to the cross because if he'd overthrown the Roman authority and purged the Jewish nation of their rule, the Jewish apostate nation would still be in charge and they would die and all go where? Hell, because the cross didn't happen. It's about the cross. Should it be any different for us? Of course not. Ordinance. Ordinance, ordinance means, in, go back to First Peter 2 if you will. Ordinance means, it says be submissive. Look at it. Therefore, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. Now here's the motivation. For the Lord's sake. Isn't it great that Jesus gives us that comfort every time is, is, it's for the Lord's sake. When you're in the middle of submitting to a boss that's hard to deal with, just remember while you're doing it that you're not doing it for Him. You're doing it for the Lord's sake. Does it say that? Servants, be submissive. Do you know that word's better translated as? Slave. Slave. Slaves, be submissive to your masters. Why? As unto the Lord. If they ask you to buff the floor, buff the floor so you can eat off of it. And say, well, buff this floor for Jesus. You want to clean out the bathroom stall? I'm going to clean it out if I have to with a, with a toothbrush because I'm cleaning out the bathroom store for Jesus. I'm doing this for Jesus. What you hey, you know what? You know how we've got God? We've got God. We've reduced him to this. That he's only concerned about the high and lofty things. You know, geopolitical movement and whether Iran's going to get a nuclear weapon and all that. But you know what? God could take a janitor who knows him, who's submissive to a tyrant boss, and find them in the bathroom at the school by themselves, cleaning off the floor, as unto him, singing while they're doing it, and he's equally concerned about that as he is geopolitical movement. Because he's that big. To say he's only concerned with the big things makes him small. To say that he's concerned with the big things as well as the little things makes him big. Which one do you want to worship? You want to worship a big God or a small one? He's big. Do it as unto the Lord. You do that report, get it on in a timely manner, do it as unto the Lord. If they criticize you because it was done wrong, then correct it and do it as unto the Lord. If they say, uh, if they d d accuse you, let it be that it comes out in the wash it was a false accusation. Because I've worked close enough to this person to know he's not like that. And then when they ask you, why are you like that? That's when you have a reason to give the hope that lies within you. Institution, it says foundation. It means when it says, it says uh, do it for the Lord's sake. Every ordinance, that means foundation. It means a sphere of operation. It means... That the ordinances are in place by God. It's the foundation upon which social order rests. So that those can say the Christian design is not to overtake human government. The Christian design is to say that this is the Titanic. You are on the Titanic and it's sinking. And we're on the deck of the Titanic and declaring to you that you better get in the lifeboat because God sent a lifeboat and His name is Jesus Christ. Otherwise, we're just rearranging the furniture. Oh, we don't need furniture arrangers here. We need those who would declare the praises of Him who took us out of darkness into His marvelous light, who called us into a, be a people of God who once were not the people of God and gave us mercy when we once have not obtained mercy. Praise His name. Isn't it something? God is just smart, you know? And I know you know that. 
But God's supremely wise. God's infinitely wise. He says, whether to the king as supreme or to governors that are delegated authority to them as to those who are sent by him, and that him should be, um, it relates to the king, that are sent by the king, delegated authority from the king, for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. Now look at verse 13. If 15. The, it, here we go again. Again. You want clarity about God's will for your life? Go into the Scriptures and find out what clearly is God's will. Obey that and He'll give you clarity by what you don't know. He'll give you secret counsel. And this is it. Look at that phrase. This is the will of God. If we... This is citizenship... Hey! This is citizenship evangelism. It's what this is. This is saying, listen, I'm doing this. For no other reason except for the fact that the Lord snatched me out of eternity in hell for nothing that I deserve but what He did through His Son. And He didn't purchase me with money. He didn't purchase me with political change. He purchased me with His blood. And He was raised from the dead. And I have an eternal hope. And you can share in that if you repent and trust Him as well. Hallelujah. We live such puny lives, don't we? We've got puny priorities and puny this and puny goals and puny this and puny, puny, puny. We're just puny. And the Lord wants us to get us back up and get into the transcendent and see what He's doing. He says, okay, this is the will of God, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men, as free but not using your liberty as a clothed for vice, but as bondservants of God. Hey, no place in the Bible, no place in the Bible for saying, well, I'm a citizenship of heaven. And this is, I'm a citizenship of heaven, so I'm not going to act responsibly as a citizen because I'm a citizenship of heaven. Your citizenship in heaven is manifest in acting responsibly as a citizen down here. It's validated. It is, it is uh, authenticated by being submissive here. Oh, dear ones, a Christian should not have a radar detector. You're sending the wrong message to your children. It says, oh, we'll speed as long as we can't get caught. Christians should pay their taxes. A Christian should make it their point to know what the government says about ordering our lives. And the only time, the only time, and there is a time possibly, but the only time that you and I have permission to disobey government authority, and even then we do it in a submissive way, is if they call upon us to do something that is clearly against the convictions found in our Word of God. Clearly. That happened, you remember, when the disciples were preaching and healing. And they brought him in before the council. And the council said, well, you know, the thing about it is, if we discredit him, the people know this guy got healed because he was 40 years crippled. So the people get mad at us and it'll be mob rule. They'll kill us. But we can't ignore it because they're a threat to our power. So let's just do this. Let's beat them up. And then we'll send them on away and say, quit speeching in the name of Jesus. And they said, listen to this. You make the decision. Do we obey you or God? Because we've been told by God to go into the world and preach the gospel. And they preached the gospel. It got him in trouble. I just don't know many of us to have gotten in trouble for the government because of preaching the gospel. Not many. Could happen, but I don't know many. It's going to happen probably in this country. It's the will of God. Let's don't gripe and fuss about our government. We might see problems with it and pray, but we're not here to overthrow it. We're here to 
live as free, but not use the freedom and liberty we have as citizens to cover up wicked behavior. Oh, I'm free. That's what it means. Don't use your freedom as a cloak for vice. Don't get righteous all of a sudden and go, well, I'm above that. I don't have to do that. Because I'm, I'm eternal and I'm part of an eternal kingdom and, and all of these things. And Jesus is my God and Jesus is communicating to you and I, if I am your God, you will submit to my delegated authority. If you don't, I'm not your practical God. As free, but not using your liberty as a cloak for vice, but as bond slaves of God. There we go again with bond slave. Got to quickly go review. Go review. Review. You ready? Bond slave, six years. Six years. Have to serve six years. In the seventh year, you can go free. Seventh year, you can go free. If you've been paying attention for the six years and you've gotten to know the servant, the master you served, and when your option is to cut loose and go free and do what you want to do and use your liberty as a cloak for vice, if you've taken no time to get to know your master, then that's what you'll do. But if you've taken time to get to know the master and gone up there and dared to approach him and find out what kind of God he is, when you're ready to cut free and use your liberty as a cloak for vice, you go, wait just a minute, I'm going nowhere. Sign me up for the rest of my life. Put it all in my ear because that God has been good to me. Amen? That's the surrender. You say, okay, I surrender. And that's God's will. As free, but not using your liberty as a cloak for vice. Quickly go over this. It's not surprising that God would use Peter to write this. It's not surprising that God would use Peter to write this because there came a time in Matthew chapter 17. Let's go over and look at it. Matthew chapter 17. Don't use your liberty as a cloak for vice. Let me ask you a question. Everything, everything that we've said and the Scriptures reveal it to us here. The only reason we've said it is because the Scriptures say it. Let me ask you a question. Here's the deal. A heads up question. Submission to authority, even when the authority is tyrannical, is who is the supreme example for that? Jesus. Jesus Christ. He was falsely accused. He'd done nothing wrong. And was led to the streets of Jerusalem on a trash heap, stripped naked, and sacrificed for me and you. Why? Because he'd done anything wrong? Because he had mounted a coup against the government? No. No guile in his mouth. When he was reviled, did he revile back in turn? Did he make a case for himself before, before uh, Pilate? They kept urging him, speak, speak, say something. Give us a reason to kill you because we haven't found one yet. Peter remembered this, and the Holy Spirit brought it back to his remembrance. Look at it. Stay with me, please. Matthew 17, 24, 27. <clears throat> when they had come to Capernaum, those who received the temple tax came to Peter and said, Does your teacher not pay the temple tax? And he said, Yes. I mean, Jesus had already modeled this in front of him. And when he came into the house, Jesus anticipated him. He said, I know what you're thinking, Peter. Jesus knows our thoughts. He said, what do you think, Simon? From whom do the kings of the earth take customs or taxes? From their sons or from strangers? And Peter said to him, from strangers. And Jesus said to him, then the sons are free. Does that sound familiar? Don't use your freedom as a cloak for vice. 
there's no such thing as a conscientious objector in Christian circles because conscience means you sin with knowledge. God would never lead you to sin or me to sin. He said all the sons are free. Aren't they? Nevertheless, lest we offend them. Here's the remark right there. Jesus said, lest we offend them, go to the sea, cast a hook, and take the fish that comes up first. And when you open his mouth, you will find a piece of money. Take that and give it to them for me and you. You ever catch that kind of fish, Michael? There's a coin in there that's worth what was required to pay the tax for Peter and Jesus in the, in the fish. But this whole... See, the epicenter for Jesus at his time in his ministry was Capernaum. It was command central for him. He goes back into Capernaum. This tax was charged for everybody who's 20 years of age or older. And it was for the upkeep of the temple. And it was mandated by God in Exodus chapter 30, verses 11 through 16. It was equal to two days' wages. Okay? Two days' wages. So it wasn't a small sum. And when Jesus looked at him, he said, Peter, I know what you're thinking. They're asking you, is the one to whom the temple, I am the temple. And he didn't know enough about Jesus by then to know. And I am the king. I'm the Christ, the son of the living God. Do you think that kings charge their son taxes? Or do they extract them from strangers? He was asking Peter, you, I know what you're thinking, Peter. What you're thinking is, why are you going to pay that tax, Lord? Because you're the king of the temple. As a matter of fact, you're the reason the temple exists. You're the son of God in Chapter 16 of Matthew, what did he just get through telling him? Who do you say that I am? Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Then he says, who do kings get taxes from, buddy? Did they get them from sons or did they get them from strangers? And Peter said, strangers. He said, you're right. We're exempt. That's my freedom. I don't have to pay this tax. But you know what? I'm here for a different reason. I'm here to purchase these people. And I'm not going to use my liberty as a cloak for vice. Pay the tax for me and you. Don't you imagine that came back to Peter when he was writing in 1 Peter chapter 2? Don't you imagine he drew back from the Savior's example and said, you know what? He paid a tax he was not obligated to pay. So let's don't get cute and smart about it. If Jesus Christ can't look at your tax return and smile, you need to repent. If you hide income from the federal government, you need to repent. If you're doing things to subvert the tax system, you need to repent. You say, well, wait a minute. It's an unfair tax system. Let me say this to you. If tyrant leaders were exempt, God would have given them an exemption for the guy that they were serving right then. Did you hear it? If an exemption was in here, the leader at the time Romans 13 was written and the leader at the time that 1 Peter 2 was written was Nero. Don't you think if Nero, if tyrant, unfair practices, you were exempt from them, don't you think he'd put that in there? This is why Jesus came upon the disciples in John chapter 6. And, and, and many of them, a bunch of them were following him. And some said, this is where we get off. We're not going any further. Because your sayings are too hard for us. 
You know what? I draw the line there. I'm sorry. This consecration, surrender stuff, that's good church talk. But we're out here now. You're messing with my pocketbook. And I'm not going there. I'm sorry. And they drew a line and they left. And he turned to the twelve and said, you guys going to leave too? And Peter spoke up and said, where else are we going to go? You're the son of the living God. You have the words of eternal life. Don't be the one who says your saves are too hard for me. Don't use carnal reasoning to exempt you from what the Bible clearly says to do. Don't do it. Don't take practicality. Don't take any of that. Throw that out the window. Find the heart and mind of God and obey Him. Then you'll be living for the sake of the gospel even if you pay more in taxes. Don't give your radar detector away. Throw it away. Because if you give it away, then you give somebody else the permission to disobey God. Let's clean up. Why? So that God will think more of us? No. Because God thinks this much of you. He's called you beloved. Already. Whether you throw that thing away or not, you're beloved of God. If you're saved. I'm going to tell you this right now. We as Christians draw those lines all the time. And we use carnal reasoning and cute arguments to say, well, wait a minute now. This is as far as I go with this Christian stuff. This is far as I go. Now, when I get to church, I'll fool everybody and say, I'm going all the way. But right now, if you took a look at these things, all of a sudden, please go all the way. Let Jesus have it. You'll be a, you'll be a, a, a vessel through whom the gospel flows. He loves you so much. Do it because you know He loves you. Fill it. Let Him fill you with His love. Let's do that for the Lord's sake. We'll finish up next week in this section and we'll move on to the other lines of authority. Can I ask you this? Are we willing to say, search my heart, O God, and see if there's any anxious thought or offensive way in me? Have, is, my, is my actions and my speech toward the, the, the government being ungodly? Because here's the thing. Either we're living for here Or we're living for eternity. Either we have a sojourner pilgrim mentality. Or we've settled in. I pity those who've settled in. I do. I really do. I pity them. I don't want to be one of them. And wherever I'm settling in, I want God to show me. Because I don't want to settle in. I don't want to get too comfortable here. Junior Hill said one time he was in the hotel room. And he looked over there on the, ca uh, on the chair beside him. And there was a cigarette burn in the upholstery. He said, do you think I called the upholstery man to tell him to come fix the cigarette burn in the upholstery? No, I didn't call him. And I looked up at the ceiling and I saw a roach crawling across the ceiling. And my first thought was, where was that roach last night when I was in the bed? Do you think I called the exterminator and asked Joe Worship to come over here and get rid of that roach? No, you know why I didn't? Because I was just passing through. You're just passing through. We're pilgrims. We're on a pilgrim journey to a city whose foundation is not made with human hands. Hallelujah to His name. Do you want to be a stumbling block to the gospel? Or do you want to be a channel through whom the life and witness and power and love of Jesus Christ flows? Because when those people left and got off in John chapter 6, Jesus didn't go back at them and say, well, let me put it to you another way. You know He did? He let them go. He let them go. He let them go. He said, I, got, I, I, I don't have any, we can't negotiate this. The cross is the only way. Oh, dear ones, let Him do it for you. Let's purge. Let's clean up. Let's fix. Let's repent. Not so we can be impressive toward God, but because of what God did in spending His Son for me and you. And the resurrected life of Jesus Christ empowers you already to do it. You don't have to ask for strength. Just receive the strength you already have. Because He lives inside you if you're one of His own. Amen.